Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Well, it's always a wonderful privilege to be able to share God's Word. And uh, lovely to be with you again. Special, special memories of this church over many years, actually, in the past. So, great to see you all. All right, and Michael's given me permission this morning to say anything I would like to about Andreas. And um, <laughs> no, he's been a been a great friend. We met while why we have the relationship. It goes back many years when he was running a group in Port Elizabeth, which is where we come from, called Alpha and Omega. So, yeah, we go way way back to those days. I am, and unlike Jane, I. I had a birthday last week. She has her birthday today. My birthday was last week, and I turned, I turned 65, which was a significant time because you're supposed to retire, and I'm grateful that I'm not retiring at this stage. I'm very glad to still be serving the Lord. But I was thinking about just the probably 60 or so years as a result of that birthday that I've been serving Jesus. And, um, and over, over this last year, I have come to a conclusion, and I want to share with you this morning a message that I've just called the conclusion. Um, let me just say that the journey has not been easy. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I have not found the Christian walk easy. It's 60 years, a lot of it's been tough. G.K. Chesterton said something, if we can just pull that up. He, he, he made this statement. Um, he was a theologian, but he wrote this. He said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. And I think that would, would speak to a lot of us, you know. And um, I just realized that it's not about the success of it all. It really is, at the end of the day, about obedience. But Matthew 16, 24 in the message says this, and we can read that together as well. It says, Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. That, that's a most unbelievable statement, that. I don't have... <laughs> If you've ever had God go to work on you, you know that you're in trouble. You know, you, you know we're now walking through a thing, and there's something going on here, and it's not, it's not easy. Jesus went to work on his disciples, and he says this to them in the message. It's, it's uh, paraphrased like this. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. That's a strange thing to say, you know, especially in this day and age when we are these, you know, faith that claim it kind of people who, you know, don't, you don't have to suffer anything. But Jesus is saying to them, no, don't, don't run from suffering, but embrace it. And follow me, he says, and I'll show you how. Self-help's no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself. So there's a purpose to it. And that's your true self you'll find in that sacrifice, in that suffering. So what kind of a deal is it, Jesus says, to get everything you want but lose yourself? That's the issue. It's not about him not wanting to bless us. It's not about him not wanting to care for us. It's about not losing everything, including ourselves. Because he says, what could you ever trade your soul for? So this, this walk that we walk, this Christian walk, this thing that Chesterton says has not been tried because it's, 
it's hard, it's difficult. That's, it's there to bring us into a place through molding our, our, our characters and who we are to bring us to a place of life in Christ which is beyond all, all other kind of life. And so Colossians 3 verse 1, which I haven't put up here, says this, it says, speaking about living this new life, since you've been raised, this is now Paul talking, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, because it is, it's a new life, he says, set your, your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand, and think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, because, he says, you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. The real life that we have is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. Some incredible statements in there. But this thing that you die to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God, just the, the two statements coming out of there that I want to focus on this morning is this. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where your real life is. And Christ is your life. And that's, that's the conclusion. That's the conclusion I've come to from all the years of walking with the Lord and, um, and, and from His, as Jesus said, working on me. <laughs> when Jesus went to work on the disciples, he, he, He's worked on me. And the conclusion I come to is that life is about Jesus. It's about Christ. Paul to the Galatians said this, he said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And it takes, I think it takes years to work through that and to come to that place because so much of certainly modern Christianity would, would encourage us to seek Christ for our own sakes, you know, as if we, as, as if there's some kind of deal for us and we're going to get, you know, and it, it, that is true, but the truth is that happens when you realize that your life is hidden in Christ and it is all about Him. Now, it's a bit like climbing a mountain, I suppose, because you know, we, we, our Christian walk, we, we're climbing on this path up a steep mountain and it's tough. And a lot of it's sweat and tears and, you know, it's, and then we come to these moments in our Christian walk where you stop and you have a look at this view and you see the most phenomenal thing and say, wow, it really is so worth following Jesus. And then, then he puts you on the next path. And then you climb this next one and you realize it's tough. It's tough. That's been my experience anyway. Wouldn't swap it for anything. It's been such a full and wonderful and glorious life. I'm so grateful to the Lord that I have been able to walk with him all the years. But those moments of elation you know, are, are not always close to each other. <laughs> there, there are times where you, you know, you've got to walk and walk and walk and climb and climb, and, and um, by the sweat of our brows sometimes we get there. And last year, you know, when I was wa walking and working through all of this stuff, and, I, and this message began to settle in my heart, um, you know, over, over 55 years you have, or 60 years as it is, you know, becoming now, um, and I don't remember, I was a little guy when I gave my life to Jesus, but you think that you would have learned a thing or two, you know, um, we've had huge discussions, certainly back home at Harvest, I, I led our church back in Port Elizabeth for 
18 and a half years before handing over to a younger team. And, um, and so we, we've had a lot of arguments theologically. We've been down this road and we've been that, down that road. We've had all sorts of you know, discussions. And, um, and it's interesting. And we've had, you know, we've had people who, who've challenged us in different areas, as happens in church life. You know? People get a, hear a message by somebody and they come and challenge you and then it's this and it's that and we go down this way and the next. And, and then they don't like the worship style because you know, it's too loud or... And so they leave the church or it's too soft and they found a louder band somewhere else and so they move the church and go down there. I mean, I've, I've walked through the most amazing stuff over the years. And um, yeah, I've, I've had letters, you know, from people. As a, as a pastor, you get these letters. I'm, I'm one of those guys who gets the Dear John letter. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and um, yeah, and then... People never tell you why they're leaving the church. I mean, you've had folk come, come here and, they, and then they leave and they tell you a story, but you never, you never really know why people leave. So I, I know none of you are ever planning to leave here, but, but the reality is, you know, life moves on and people come and people go, and, and it's tough, okay, it's tough. I'm, I'm not, I don't want to focus too much on the tough because I want you to, I want you to, to walk away here this morning with the victory that is ours in Christ. Because when you get this, and this is probably the most important thing I can ever preach, um, because it's about Jesus. It's, life is about him. That is the conclusion. That is the final, final statement of my life that I've come to, that it is about Christ, and my life is hidden in him. And when, when one gets to that place, is a tremendous relief and a re- tremendous release. You know, was it important that we sorted out predestination and man's free will and you know they're important things I'm not let me let me say this I'm not against theology I'm totally totally for theology I love it I love the discussions but at the end of the day the conclusion is that this life is about Jesus and about knowing him and about following him and about being obedient to him and I know that we will stand before him one day and not so much be judged on our success Certainly not your bank balance, certainly not what car you drove, certainly not how many people you got into the church, certainly not how much success you've had and what, you know, what kind of church you built, or, or all of those things which seem so important. But at the, final, you know, at the final situation, it's going to be about my relationship with Jesus, number one, and was I obedient? Did I do what he told me? That's all it's going to be about. I really believe that. So as we walk in his footsteps and we learn to love him and we learn to know him. That's what it's all about. And so, as I was thinking about this last year, I, I thought, well, I've, you know, I've had 55 or 60 years of walking with Jesus. I can preach a message on this conclusion. You know, I, can, I, can, I can sort that one out. I've had lots of life experiences. And I always say to the guys, especially the, especially the young team that I've been training and certainly when I travel around, I say to them, if you need or if you want good sermon illustrations, you know, because you're always looking for a good sermon illustration, but if you need a, a good personal sermon illustration, uh, because that's what makes the message, then, then you, you have to go through a hard time. You know, you've got to fall in a hole and watch how Jesus helps you to climb out of the hole. Then you've got a story to tell. So I thought after, you know, after 50, 60 years, I've got lots of stories to tell. And so I thought, well, that's fine. I'll be able to find something to kind of back, you know, in, in, the, in, in all this message that's surfacing inside of me. 
And, um, and there is, you know, the resistance has been, it's been huge um, to the message in, inside of me. And so this was kind of middle of last year. And about, about probably four or five years ago, I went for my regular checkup and want to encourage all the men here, you need to go for your regular checkup. And, uh, and my prostate-specific antigen was a little bit raised. And so I, get, I got sent off to the urologist, and I went and, you know, had the miserable examination and things that happens. And I'm, I'm a medical doctor by training, so I, you know, I knew I had to be wise about all of these things. So off I went. And, um, and he said, look, the urologist said, look, this, your PSA blood test's a bit high. We need to do we need to do a prostate biopsy. So that was about three, three and a half years ago. So I, I eventually I submitted to that and I went in and um, was very grateful. It came back negative. I, it was negative. The PSA remained high, but uh, carried on. So I was grateful, wonderful. Had lots of people pray for me, lots of, you know, did all the stuff, lived the, okay, we're going to get through this thing. And... Um, Middle of July last year, I had to go back for another checkup, kind of been going every six months for the checkup, and the blood test hadn't changed. But he says to me, you know what, I think we should do another biopsy. And listen, let me tell you, it's a miserable thing. I won't go into any details this morning, even though I have a medical background, because I realize you've got lunch to eat. And, um, <laughs> and so I had, this, I had this experience again, you see, and I came out of that, and I thought, oh, it's fine, it's going to be negative again, the blood test hadn't changed. So four days later, it was a Friday night, I went in for the biopsy. Tuesday afternoon, I'm back in his office, in his uh, consulting rooms, and, um, and he looks at me and he says, you've got prostate cancer. This was last July. And I, you know, it was like, I, I was always the doctor and I was the pastor. I was never in the bed. You know, I was, on the, I was always outside the bed praying for people or else fixing people. So... I was absolutely, I mean, I was shocked, totally shocked. It was a Tuesday afternoon, and I, so I went home after he explained to me all the possibilities of what might happen and, and what needs to be done and whatever, and we needed to make some decisions. And I, the first decision, I said, I need to get back to gym, which I, was, which I have been attending. I've been going to gym and you know, try to keep myself fit. I thought, I'd better go and get myself really fit, because if I'm going through an operation, I want to be as physically strong as I can be. So I did that, went back to gym that afternoon, the Tuesday afternoon of, started developing a bit of a chest pain on the side here. By that evening, I, I could not lie down. I couldn't, couldn't stand up. I was sitting on the edge of the couch trying to pretend that all was well. You know, and you, you know when your wife is looking at you and you say, no, it's fine. It's just, just a little ache. You know, it's just, I mean, I was, I was in agony, absolute agony. Every time I breathed. So with my medical background, I'm now going through all the things. You know, I'm going through, okay, pain's not going down the inside of the arms, not into my pinky. So... It's probably not heart. It's probably, when I breathe, it's, it, it's probably pleuritic pain. I probably got pleurisy. That was my diagnosis. So that night, I could not lie down. Couldn't sit up whole night. <laughs> this is July. It was middle of winter. Whole night's freezing. I had to sit with a blanket over my head the whole night, and I sat up trying to keep warm. And, um, and the next morning, I succumbed. I went for a, for a chest X-ray. Long story short, I ended up in, back in hospital, with a CAT scan, and I had, I had multiple pulmonary emboli. Now, for those of you who don't have a medical background, you know, cancer is one thing. It kills you slowly um, if you leave it, and, but pulmonary emboli kill you quickly if you leave them. So I, I had two, one slow 
slow diagnosis and one very rapid one if it went wrong. So, so, so I realized God was saying something to me. I didn't realize it had to do with this message. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing. L- let me just say this to you. When you are then sitting on, this, on the edge of your, of your chair and, and you're faced with your humanity and with your mortality. And you know, at any moment now, one of these emboli, that was a complication of the biopsy and the cancer probably, one of these emboli can kind of come loose and block your pulmonary artery so that you don't breathe anymore and you can drop dead there and then. You're looking, you're looking in that moment for Jesus. Let me just say to you, nothing matters in that moment but Jesus. And I want to say to you, if if we don't get that right, we miss the whole thing. In that moment, it does not matter if I believe in premillennial end times or postmillennial end times. It doesn't matter if I'm a predestination, if I'm a free will, I mean, all the stuff all the fights we have in Christianity, all the issues we have, all the reasons people leave churches and every, all the nonsense that goes on, in that moment I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm crying out, Jesus, are you really there? Do I really know you? Have I really walked with you? If I drop dead in this moment, am I going to see you there waiting for me on the other side? That is all that matters. And that's the conclusion. And the older you get, the more you realize that I have questions about all kinds of stuff. I, I've had years to sort out all of the things. Deep in my heart, I know what I believe about a lot of issues, but I don't have all the answers. But this one thing I have now concluded, it is about Jesus. It is about knowing him, and nothing else matters. And I can't always figure him out. And I'm going to just tell you another story so that you understand that God is hard to figure out because His, his ways are above our ways, His thoughts above our thoughts. And He, he sometimes doesn't share why, he, why He's doing things. I, I had oil, I was anointed, I was prayed for, I believe in healing, I've seen healings. I've seen miraculous healing. I, I might have had to just go through this so I can tell you a story this morning of the goodness of God despite the difficulty, despite the horrific experiences of going through and, and all of the stuff. But, but here's the reality. When we meet with Jesus, we know that life changes. And in that moment, we, we, we're born again and we know that we're born again. And then we we enter this Christian life and we think we can sort it all out and we think we have God sorted out. One of the things as a pastor that you you find is that people come to you and they challenge you on a particular area that they've been listening to or reading or something. And I I listen now and I I really go before God to try to sort these things out. But here's here's the story of what happened to friends of ours. He's He's also in ministry. They have a son... Um, who suffers from Asperger's. It's a, 
it's, it's, a, it's a condition which nobody really knows what happens, but as a child, he, you're suddenly unable to socialize. So he's socially completely... I'll tell you what, one of the things he did. He, he just cannot integrate socially. So he, they would ask him to come and fetch him. Now, he's now able to drive. He's 18 years of age. They say to him, you know, Austin, would you please come and fetch us at the airport? And so Austin will arrive at the Johannesburg airport to fetch them off an international flight, and he'll be in his pajamas and his slippers. And he doesn't think that's abnormal. He doesn't think that's strange. But when you talk to him, they are often brilliant intellectually, but just, just, you know, just don't socially interact. So now they, they found that there was this college in the United States where you could go and be, be trained to, you know, to operate socially. But being South African and because of the Rand dollar exchange, it was going to cost them two million Rand per year. Two million Rand per year to go to this college, and it was for three years. And Austin said to his mom and dad, I, I want to go. I, I believe God wants me to do this. And, and they felt it was right, but you know, where, do you, where are you going to get, as, a, as a, someone in ministry, that he, he's not even leading a church, he's, he's just in ministry, he's a, he's a teacher of the word. Where are you going to find six million rand? One evening, sometime later, they were sitting at supper, and, and Austin brought the subject up again, and he said to his dad, I believe God wants me to go, and I believe God's going to provide the money. And the next morning, a businessman came to this friend of ours and gave him, he said, I don't know what this is about, but God has told me to give you two million rand. And as far as I understand, all of the money has come through for this thing. Now, here's my question to you, because we think we've got God sorted out. If, if I was God, I would have just healed Austin of his Asperger's. That would have been the easiest thing, because I believe in healing. God heals. God heals everybody. You know, we've heard this stuff. Until you realize he's walking through a huge challenge. How, what's more difficult, for God to heal it or for, or for God to, give, to speak to some businessman who then has to agree to part with two million rand for something he, don't, he knows nothing about, doesn't know what it's for? That's the God we serve. So we can't think we've got him sorted out. And at the end of the day, that's why my conclusion is simply this. It's about Jesus. It's about following him. It's about obedience to him. It's about knowing him. It's about loving him. It's about knowing his love and knowing that he will get you through no matter what. And my, you know, my, my theology may not be right. I may not have sorted God out. I may not have got him all figured out. But it's okay, because he'll get me through. And I mean, we, we all know, we know, we know the stories, I'm sure you've heard it in this church, you know, the stories that we'll tell, you know, about like the guy who was hanging on to a tree in the, in the floods, which you probably need here. But, you, but anyway, this story is that, that this guy's hanging on to the tree, and, and it's flooding, and, and he's hanging on there, and the water's going up and up and up, and... He cries out to God and says, God, please send me a helicopter. I need a helicopter. Come and save me. And, and so next thing, a guy comes past on a canoe and says, quickly, jump on. He says, no, 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 no. I'm a man of faith. 
I've just spoken to the Lord and I've said, I've ordered a helicopter from God. So, <laughs> canoe goes on down the way. And anyway, and you know the story St. Peter's at the gate and this guy comes knocking. St. Peter takes out his list and says, What are you doing here? I thought we, we sent you a canoe. He says, No, no, but I asked for a helicopter. And so, so we know. That's a joke, by the way. This is not a true story. This, 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 this is not a true story. But this is the reality of our walk, isn't it? We try to figure God out. We, we think we know Him. We, we think we can, you know, we've got it all sorted out. I just want to say after all the years, I know this one thing beyond a shadow of doubt that I'm sharing with you this morning. Jesus Christ is real. He loves me. I love Him. I've given my life to Him. He is the Lord of my life. And He will get me through. And He will get you through. No matter what. Sometimes it's hard times. But you can't earn more points by getting it right, always. You get, your, your salvation's free. You know, by, by studying better theology or by doing whatever it is, we, we think we, we get, we're so human. It's about Jesus. We have a wonderful conclusion in the manual of, of Church of the Nations, which, of course, you know, this church is part of. It's an international family, wonderful family of churches we all belong to. There's a great statement at the conclusion of our values book, and I want to pull that up for you. The focus is Jesus and his kingdom on earth. That's what it's about. And then this statement, the word did not become a philosophy, a theory, or a concept to be discussed, orated, or pondered. But the Word became a person to be followed, enjoyed, and loved. And we've got to get that thing right. It's just such a wonderful statement in our values book. And I, I had an amazing insight into the secular world's observation of, of religion a little while back. I was watching a BBC documentary, and they were talking about all of these refugees that are coming to Europe. And the BBC the, the woman, the TV journalist who was doing the interviews and whatever, she made this observation. She said a lot of Muslims are now becoming Christians so they can get into the European countries. And I, I, just, I was just so struck by that because I realized this woman, who is a, she's an unbeliever, but she's looking at the world's religions and she's saying there's Buddhism, there's Hinduism, there's... There's Islam, there's Christianity, there's Baha, whatever else, and whatever other things there are. And she's simply saying, okay, so now they want to come to Europe, so they choose, they choose Christianity. And I'm thinking, lady, you have no idea of what's going on. Now, there may be some who said, we're Christians, to get in. But she has no idea that in the middle of the night, there are countless, thousands of Muslims who are meeting Jesus sovereignly and getting born again and they wake up in the morning and they are born again by the grace and the sovereign work of God through a dream in the night. Or they are waking up and God has told them, go and find a Christian who will tell you about me. And they go out and they find a Christian who, lead, you know, who will then lead them to Jesus. And I, I realize that it's not just about all these different religions. We don't have a religion. 
Ours is about that. It's about this person, about knowing a person. It's about following a person. It's about enjoying and loving him. That's what our walk is about. And it's a bit like this. If you were a man who was walking down or a woman walking down a path and, you, and in, it was your time in life where you had to decide what religion you were going to follow and you looked and you got to, got to the place in the road where there are all these the, bunch of you know, forks that go off like this and, and each one at the beginning of a path that you would walk down has got a list outside and on that list are written all the rules of that. So like for, if you're going to become a Buddhist, here are the rules. Here you, this is how you become a Buddhist. If you're going to become you know, a Hindu, then these are, here are the rules. And for each one it's like that, except there's this one path where there's no sign at all. There's just a man with an incredible grace upon his face and his compassion towards you who just reaches out to you and says, come, come and, and follow me. That's the difference. Now, I've got, I've got to be nuts because if I look down these other ones, I'm nuts if I don't follow him because down this path, just, it's strewn with the bodies of those who've gone before and there's just a set of rules to follow. And each of them's like that except in this one. There's this man called Jesus who just says to me, come and follow me. It's not about follow the rules. We follow the rules because we follow Him. That happens because of, because of His grace and His kindness. But it's about following, it's about knowing Him. And I, I've got to be crazy if I don't look at all of these different religions and say, year, hundreds of years before Christ was crucified, something like 300 prophecies in the Old Testament were made concerning him. And in the 24 hours before his death, 30 of those prophecies were fulfilled. Stuff that was spoken hundreds of years before. I mean, the, the miraculous stuff around Jesus is phenomenal. You know, the stuff that we... His, his, his truth, his life, is just incredible. And so why would I then... Why would I ever choose a set of rules above this incredible, incredible man called Jesus who is both man and God? Not about knowing about him. It's about him. It's about knowing him. Our, our religion is not a religion. It's about knowing him. It's not, know, it's not about knowing about him. It's about knowing him. So, yeah, this one who was able to say to us, listen, religion's going to burn you out. But I don't, I don't want to burn you out. Matthew eleven twenty eight. are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Have you been trying so hard in your own strength? Have you been trying so desperately to follow all the rules? And so then he says, come to me. And get away with me, and you'll recover your life. And I'll show you how to take a real rest. And that real rest is in Him. It's when everything is in Him. Now, the wonderful stage of, well, the wonderful thing about getting to the stage of my life is that I, I've come to the point where I no longer need to be right. 
And that's a, it's a great place to come to. I pray you come to that soon, Michael. <laughs> and everybody else, I pray you come to the place where you don't need to be right. I've known that I don't have a right to be right for a long time. You know, I don't have a right to be right, but I don't need to be right anymore. But I want to share with you, and I don't think I've shared it here before. I hope if I have, please tell me. But I, I, this thing has so impacted me. Can we just pull up the next thing, which I've called the bull's eye of our, of our theology? Because, and the next one, it's about a target. This comes out of the ESV, so it's not original. The, the English Standard Version Bible's got this in the Study Bible. But it speaks about the absolutes of our Christian walk. What are the absolutes? The things that we know are, are you know, things that are, are not, up for, they're not negotiable. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, we, we believe in the scriptures. We believe the scriptures are the word of God, and, and they're the word of God to us, and they are our rule for life. The things like the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, the virgin birth, the resurrection, these are foundational statements. Those are bullseye issues, okay? Outside of that, there are convictions. We would have strong convictions within Church of the Nations as our family of churches, which others may not agree about. Other churches may be cessationist. In other words, they may believe that, that there's no more prophecy, there's no more tongues, there's no more gifts of the Holy Spirit because that was for those days. And the cessationists would not have the same strong convictions as us, but by and large, in fact, almost certainly they would carry the same absolutes as us. They do. So we would be able to walk together as Church of the Nations with our absolutes and our convictions pretty much sorted out, and we walk together in that. Then, outside of that, there are opinions. <coughs> opinions divide churches. Yeah. And so, so I want to say to you this morning, if I may, on behalf of, of Michael and Andreas and the leadership, I want, to, I want to say to you on behalf of them, you're welcome to have an opinion. Absolutely welcome to have an opinion. But let's not argue about it, because I may have an opinion too. I, have an, I may have an opinion about the end times, which is very strong. I might see, And if my opinion is so strong and you don't have the same opinion as me, then you leave the church. And we should never split the church on opinions. Yeah. Never. It's not worth it. Have you ever heard a church that got split on faith and love and hope? No, it gets split on the fact that I believe that the end time is like this. We've had, we had somebody who was, he was just so into end time theology and eventually left because we, wouldn't, we would not entertain his very narrow opinion of what's going to happen at the end times, you know, his eschatology. He had, he had the date and everything when Jesus was going to return. And, and well, it, it's come and, come and gone <laughs> that date. But it's come and gone, and, and he's come and gone. This guy, he, you know, he's... But he left us because we wouldn't agree with him. And I will, I will never allow the church to be split on opinions. There's even one circle outside of that, and that's the question. Stuff we are, we just say, wow, why, why would God do that? Okay, and that's what I've shared with you this morning. Some of the stuff that makes us not understand God and we want to turn our backs on Him and run away, there's a lot of stuff we don't understand. It's okay, one day it'll all be sorted out. But here's the thing I have to say to you this morning, and I'm going to walk right across there now. If you don't get this right... Because I, I, if I was drawing this thing now, 
I would put another little circle right in the middle there with an arrow to it and say, Jesus, because he is the center of it all. And if we don't get that right, we miss the target, I think. You know, we, we're not, we're not going to get the rest of the target. So, yeah, our purpose on earth is around that little dot in the center. That's what it is. It's about that. Our purpose on earth is to bring him glory. The Westminster Catechism said this very clearly. It says, our, our purpose on earth is to bring him glory and to enjoy him forever. That's an incredible statement. These, these were the big theologians of the time. They got together in Westminster in London, and they made this massive statement. We, they got together to decide what is the ultimate purpose of man. And the ultimate purpose of man is simply this, to bring God glory and to enjoy Him forever. So that's what, that's what it's about. Outside of Him, there's no purpose. And so we, this morning, can come to the same place, and that's where I've come to with Paul. I can, I can agree 100% this morning, as he says in Galatians 2, verse 20. So he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's a wonderful place to come to, because I don't have to be anything other than the carrier of His presence. And one who, who knows that I, my life in his hands and the Christ in me is all that matters. And he gave himself for me and he loves me. In 1 Corinthians 2 verses 1 to 5 it says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, Paul says this, he says, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I, promise, as, I, sorry, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And then his final conclusion in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So I want to ask you to close your eyes with me this morning as we just, as we just contemplate that for a moment. And think a little about the one whom we have chosen to follow, whose name is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Son of man and Son of God. Jesus, our Messiah, our all in all, our Alpha and our Omega, our beginning and our end. He's my salvation, my hope, a great prophet, a great high priest, and my king. He's my healer. He's my redeemer. He's my hope. He's my help. He is my all. 
He's the Lord to whom has been given by the Father all authority in heaven and on earth. And he's the shepherd and the bishop of my soul. And he's the lion of Judah. But he's also the, li- the lamb that was slain, that sacrificial lamb that was slain to take away the sin of the world. And by his shed blood and his death on the cross, I am saved. My sin is washed away. And his blood has paid for all. Your sin and my sin paid for. And he was nailed to that cross till his lifeblood all drained from him. And then he was able to say, it's done, because it was paid for in full. And today he reaches out to you again, reaching out to you again this morning and saying to each one of us again this morning, come, come, follow me. And I'll show you what real life is all about. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.